Welcome to another Rags the Riches Secrets. Today we're going to cover a subject that should become very, very near and dear to your heart. And what it is, is how to turn an economic down and turn into a highly profitable business opportunity. So why in the world are we talking about this today? Why am I bringing it up? Seems like the economy is humming along and everything's going just right, right? Well, good question. Is it actually doing that? That's the big question. When, if you're taking you stop, let me just put it, put this thing into context and then you can see why I'm referring to what I'm referring to. Okay. If you go look at like historical data, the U S the, the U S like probably census bureau, they take and they track uh, a significant amount of data, market data on what's happening in the marketplace. And based on that, we can go in and see, um, are we running into a bubble? Did you guys, you guys remember back in 2006, there was the real estate bubble that had popped. And all of a sudden, we just got, we found ourselves in a very deep and dark place for, for a few years. And uh, the piece, if you go look at that data, you will, you will see that during that window, new home constructions, new starts went absolutely off the rails. It went way off the rails. Like if you look at standard deviations where or some methodology that shows you what percentage increase or overpriced compared to normal or the amount of uh, homes going in that was more than normal, you would go like, holy mackerel, the market got hotter than a pistol and then it had this massive pullback because houses became overly priced. Now, people have been talking for a long time. Hey, I think the housing market's overpriced. I think there's a bubble. Hey, I think that people are getting highly extended. Hey, I think... Like, you know what I'm talking about? There's a lot of I thinks in this in, in the marketplace. But one particular item that is different right here, right now, is that we are now at the same level, same level of new homes being started, new construction projects being started, and people are paying a major premium price for these homes. And you see there's a really high tick in 2006. Like all of a sudden there's a massive ramp up, ramp, ramp, ramp up, major production. Then it came back down and then it normalized for a few years. And now it has actually come back up so that we are at the exact same spot in 2006 as far as number of new homes starting when the whole entire market blew up. And, and you look at what, what's a tailwind? What's something that's going to step into this equation? that would cause you to believe that there is reason to be concerned. And like, if you look at the home data, homes have become overly priced. You know what, what's even crazier is during COVID, supply chains got majorly disrupted because they got disrupted. Everybody that's building things are building things out of non-traditional products. They're having to find alternative sources, alternative products for just about everything. So now what we're really looking at is in the last two years, you have overpriced homes with below quality grade product, like the lumber. The lumber that's going into this is substantially subpar compared to where it was pre-COVID. So now you got a weird environment. Now, hopefully you guys, hopefully that makes sense. We're like the amount of homes that, that were coming on market at a, such an accelerated rate were at the exact same spot in 2006 when it blew up. The other piece that's coming into play is inflation has been going up exponentially. Like from last year to this year, the, the report that I had shows that it went up 10.76%. That's what 
the, the inflation had popped from one year to the next. Now, you can see that that is significant. Okay, so what does this mean? That the catalyst or the thing that the Fed is doing is they're like, hey, we've got to come in here and tap the brakes and see if we can slow down inflation. But now you've got to look at it. Now the real estate developers are committed to buying property and real estate at high prices. But what changes the value of prices is in the fulcrum is how much people, like what would that do to your monthly payments? So if you think about it, if you were buying, a, say, a $700,000 house at 1% interest, that's a different payment than buying a $700,000 house at a 4% interest or a 5% interest or a 6% interest. You see what happened? All of a sudden, you're like, well, hey, I can only afford payment X. Maybe your payment uh, threshold's like, say, 2,000 bucks, right? Well, guess what? When those interest rates go up, it causes you not to be able to have the quite the same buying power because your payment becomes too high. In fact, by its very nature, it would disqualify people from being able to buy those particular homes, okay? So that's coming into play. The other thing that's coming into play that I see is we are at, we are at, if you ever look at the stock market, they have what they call a P.E. ratio. The P.E. ratio is referred to like earnings. How much money did you make? So I was with my friend today and we were talking about his gym. And I said, look, if your gym is making, like your profit at the end of a year is $100,000 and somebody's willing to pay 10 times your earnings, that means you got a million dollar gym. And therefore you could sell us for a million dollar gym. The, the thing is, or that what's gotten really off, has gotten really weird is historically people were willing to pay 15 times earnings. So $1.5 million for his gym where they could gather up this uh, basically $100,000 a year. And what has, what has happened now, basically, if you look at that model, just so you just put it in context, you're going to sit around, you're going to sit around and be waiting for 10 years to be able to recoup your investment into that thing because that's the break even. 10 years, you make 100,000 a year. At the end of the 10 years, you've accumulated a million bucks. You now own the gym free and clear, assuming there was no interest tied to it, okay? Historically, stock market has been at 15 times earnings. That's about where the historical date has been. Like when you buy a stock, you're gonna pay 15 times how much the company earns to determine like what you'd be willing to pay for it. We are now up in the 25 times earnings. In, in uh, there's, this, there's this methodology they call standard deviation. We are now into the second tier standard deviation. Or in other words, we have gone off the rails. The market is 80% overpriced compared to where it has historically been. Therefore, if, if the Fed taps the brakes and all of a sudden you're in the stock market and you discover, you discover, oh my gosh, like I can't, like I borrowed money and I can't afford to be in the stock market anymore. Therefore, you sell. Everybody starts selling. And guess what? All of a sudden, the, the stock market takes a dip. People will borrow money to buy stocks under the expectation that money's cheap today and it gets me a higher, year, higher yield tomorrow. But it, that works when it's going up. But if it works, if it go like the same methodology works when it's going up, works against you as it goes down. Because as everybody pulls out, the price drops, the price drops, and you've overpaid, 
then you get skinned. So that's what I'm talking about. There is a whole pile of, of bubbles that are taking place. And now the question is, is now knowing that, what do you do about how can you How can you profit in an economic downturn? There is a lot of companies that have been born. They were born out of economic downturns. They actually found their ability to gain more momentum and to succeed during a downturn. So I'm going to take it. I'm going to break down three secrets for you today. So this is how you can start figuring out how to get ahead of it. Okay. Um, so you got to focus on. So secret number one, focus on markets that do better in a downturn. So what do I mean? Um, give you an example. If like in a downturn, you would probably not be as enthusiastic to go out and to buy a new vehicle, right? Now you might want a new vehicle, but if, if, if money becomes tight, you're going to start asking yourselves questions such as, how can I maintain what I already have versus going out and buying a new thing? And so then you would lean towards going to AutoZone, for example. So you go to AutoZone or you go to, uh, it used to be Checker Auto Parts, but I think they got bought out by O'Reilly. Okay, so you've got these stores, AutoZone, O'Reilly, okay? Those companies are going to do fabulously well during an economic downturn. Like Ramen Noodle, for example. Ramen Noodle would do phenomenal during a downturn because all of a sudden everybody's like, hey, I'm not going to buy steak anymore, okay? Or if you're in the flooring industry, and let's just say that right now, I don't know if you've noticed, but everybody is putting in this click linoleum or they're putting in hardwood floors or floors that look like hardwood. They're very nice, very durable. They cost more than carpet. So you could say people will make a shift or a transition away from hardwoods, and then you would start seeing people put carpet and stuff inside their house. Like here's some examples of industries that are not going to fare very well during an economic downturn. And this will help you start thinking like what would work well in a downturn, okay? One of them is like a concrete company. These guys, like they're, they rely heavily on new construction, but, but when the world becomes pessimistic, there's a major pullback in construction. And then as a result, as a result, concrete does very well in a good economy and up economy but it does pathetically poor in a down economy. If you're inside that, you're going to get slayed like a dragon, okay? It's very, that, that particular business is dangerous. If you're in a, an industry that focuses heavily on new home construction, like if you're a contractor, you're probably going to get slayed. In fact, I, I've, like I have a friend, he, he actually was in the flooring business. He actually still is. Like he, he, got, he got taken, he, he got slayed. What basically what it was is he had gone out, put material, wood products inside homes. Then homeowners were no longer qualified to buy them. The contractors didn't get paid. Likewise, the contractors turned around and did not pay the subcontractors. And so then the subcontractors got slayed. And in the end, they had all their capital out there, all their money out there working in working projects and the money didn't come home. Therefore, they got they got killed in that transaction. You see what I'm saying? And so, like my uh, one of my partners, he is in the, the, the construction space, and he is like, I am shifting everything this year so that he is limiting massively, massively limiting his liability, so that he does not discover or, or, or wake up one day realizing he does not have a way to get paid. Okay, and so he's shifting. He shifted how he wrote up his contracts. He's shifting how he collects money. He's shifting his entire behavior 
knowing that that is the pattern in this industry when you have an economic downturn. So you're going to say, okay, what industries can I get into that would allow me to get ahead? Now, I've mentioned, I'll show you what I'm doing. I've mentioned what I'm doing. But then you've got to ask yourself, what is it that you could be doing that would allow you to position yourself in a good spot? Okay. Obviously, you know, I'm in the solar industry. Okay. Here's what I know. Contractors are going to try to be, try to build homes, discover they can't get funding. These things are overpriced. They're going to discover that their new construction is going to get slayed like a dragon. They're going to, they're going to get killed. Okay. But what I know is they're good at con, good at construction and contracting. Okay. The one thing I know on my space, because I do the solar, is that homeowners, now all of these new houses came on the market, there is going to be an increased demand, okay, for electricity across the entire United States. Because not only are there more homes, but now there's a massive there's a massive shift in adoption to electric vehicles. These things need power. I am literally in the energy business. You could say, Mike, you're in the construction business. Yeah, well, kind of, right? My, my real business is energy. I'm delivering energy to the consumer so that the consumer can power their car, power their house, run their AC. But I'm in the, the energy of buy the energy one time and the energy, the, the source, the solar panels will deliver electricity to you over the next 50 years so that you don't have to keep rebuying the, the asset, right? Buy it once, boom, put it in play, plug and play, you've got power now for the next like 50 years, okay? I'm in the actual energy space, but I use contractors to move forward. So if you're like, hey, I am a contractor. I'm trying to figure out how to get some momentum. I know that I'm going to get killed. What you would do is you would track down somebody like me where I franchise and I say, look, I've got all the resources, assets. You could spend a year trying to get into a good position or come and talk to me. I'll plug and play you into this because my resource will do very well during an economic downturn, especially because there's a catalyst that the, the Fed is saying we need to convert to renewable energy. Okay, this is a worldwide initiative. This is not a, a single initiative. The marketplace and the policies are pushing it and demanding it. The amount of electricity coming online is being pushed in demand. You might say, like for example, Mike, why would I want to buy an electric vehicle, even though I can see that the market's adopting it? Well, let me put it in context. When, when you buy a new vehicle, for example, they, they don't necessarily make a ton of money off of selling you the new, the new vehicle. They make their money off of the maintenance and parts of the vehicle. That's where the money's at, okay? Now, what changes is when you get an electric vehicle, the maintenance goes away. It has 12 working, it has about 12 moving parts. Very, very minimal. There's probably 20,000 moving parts on a gas-powered vehicle. There's that many opportunities for parts to wear out, things to go wrong. The electric vehicle doesn't have that. You don't have to go down to the gas station to fuel it up. Plug it into your wall at your house. What it is is that it shifts the cost. It massively shifts the cost of ownership of the vehicle. Okay. And as a result of that, when, it, when you can actually have an ownership of a vehicle where the costs are like, like a tenth of what they were before, it changes everything. And so you're seeing that shift take place. But what does that mean? On my side, that means there's a catalyst or an increased demand for electricity during an economic downturn. Okay, so I showed you that. You've got to figure out what markets 
will do very well during a downturn. Um, and then once you understand that, then you can start making the decisions to position yourself. I had a friend, and this is one of the things that you can do, okay? He was in the health and he, he, he does health and fitness stuff, okay? And so he's like, he's like, hey, do you want to look good? Do you want a beach body? Do you want to look amazing? Like, how would you like some killer abs and all this stuff? That's what he was selling pre-COVID, getting people excited about it. But he actually went back during COVID. He changed his messaging. Hey, uh, like, you don't want to get sick. The best way to avoid getting sick is to make sure that you have a very strong body and immune system. And the way to get there is to increase the maintenance and how you take care of yourself. Like people that have low body fat typically are healthier, therefore they're less prone to get sick. So come to the gym, let's get your let's get you into shape, let's get your body fat down, let's increase your health so that you are more like less likely to get sick. You see how it is? He actually had the same exact product, but he figured out how to take the marketing of his product and pitch it in a different fashion. Now you could be like, say that you're a, you're an invest you you sell investments, okay, and you're helping people get get momentum. You're like, hey, come come work with me. I'll make you a millionaire, right? And then uh, then they're really excited, okay. But during an economic downturn, that same company could actually end up saying, hey, times are getting tough. What we're gonna do is we're putting we're putting your money to work so that you can secure and protect your money. You don't want to see all of your money in retirement get wiped out. So they're going to take and they're going to reposition themselves so that it can close the gap in the marketplace. See, what, what you noticed is, is you did, it does not necessarily mean that you have to leave your niche. What it does mean is you've got to figure out how to market and sell your specific product for that specific need based on that current environment. Okay. Now, there's, there's some markets that are probably not going to do well during the downturn. Now you could probably say, well, let's figure out how to remarket concrete, right? Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, do your best, but I can tell you historically, that one just gets killed, okay? Um, I can tell you historically, new car sales probably take a dive. I can tell you that uh, like Amazon, or not Amazon, AutoZone typically do better during those environments. And so like one of the things that I'm doing, so you say, Mike, well, give me another example of what you're doing. So you know that I do Amazon stores. I have automated Amazon stores so that you could say, hey, you know what? Right now, I need to figure out how to start generating multiple streams of income so that I can make sure that if one stream dies, that I do not die on the vine. I want to protect me and my future. Therefore, show me how to do this new thing. And so then I would say, okay, come over here, get an Amazon store. It's a done-for-you service. We'll plug, play, we'll do everything. Why do I like the idea of Amazon? I am not going to just, uh, my, my, my offer isn't just Amazon, okay? Uh, I'll, I'll, I digress. Because um, I do Amazon, um, I also do uh, like Wal Amazon, I do Walmart, I do eBay, um, I do Facebook Marketplace. Like there's a lot of, there's, there's other sellers out there that, that want to get you exclusively on Amazon. I actually, like you say, Mike, what do you do different? Like, well... I diversify. I, I put you in more places so that I can ramp up your sales and make you more profitable. Because like if there's a, a limited demand, like depending on what the demand is on Amazon, I probably could I could probably match on eBay the amount of sales you could get off of Amazon depending on the product. And my goal is to maximize and to increase your profits. But you'd say, Mike, why are you why are you why did you 
make this opportunity so people could get an Amazon store from you. Well, here's what I know. And you saw this during COVID. People's buying patterns are shifting. They are not necessarily going to brick and mortar as much. Like, take for example, think about Christmas time. What did you do during Christmas time? Did you spend a tremendous amount of time going to the store or did you start doing your shopping online? And you made that shift because you said, I don't want to go out and possibly get exposed to COVID. So what happened during that marketplace or during that environment during COVID? What happened is, is like Amazon itself basically doubled. Jeff Bezos got divorced during COVID, got rid of half his assets. And then by the end, well, we're still in COVID, but as it transitioned out, he's richer now than he was before he got divorced. You see what I'm saying? And that's because demand that was in brick and mortar shifted to consumption online. And that is the thing that changed. Here's what I know. Here's my catalyst, okay? I know that there's a demographic, there's a very, very large demographic that is actually aging. They're aging, they have money, and they're not as excited about going out anymore, and they just got trained during COVID how to shop online. So I look at it, I'm like, will e-commerce do well during an economic downturn? And my conclusion is yes, yes. We can get, we can actually reduce costs where brick and mortar are actually seeing a pullback in sales. How do you know that there's a pullback? Okay, Amazon was online, right? Uh, Walmart really wasn't paying attention to it. They, they didn't care. What they, they were kind of ignoring it. And Walmart like woke up. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. So they're they are now actively and aggressively moving forward. So what happened is, is Walmart, since they know that we are a big player on Amazon, they came to us and said, will you show us how to fix and will you show us how to scale out successfully and to start ramping up our Walmart store because they see Amazon as a massive threat, okay? Because they know that the marketplace is changing. Things are changing. So, secret number one, just just. Focus on the markets that perform best during an economic downturn or figure out how to reposition what you're selling so that you talk to the consumer's needs during this downturn so that you can successfully help them, okay? So that's secret number one. Okay, secret number two, weak companies get flushed out, leaving the best companies. That is one of the big, big, like right now, you could you could be out there in the marketplace and you could be slaying, Okay. Like, let's just say you're a, a plumber or, I don't know, pick, a, pick, any, pick any flavor of industry, right? But let's just say you're in the plumbing supply business. You're out there and you're selling it. And I'm picking that because you know that there's going to be a major pullback in plumbing supplies. Those guys are going to get thrashed, okay? Here's what you know. There is, right now, everybody in plumbing is making a killing or they have been making a killing because the demand has been so high. So what you have in the marketplace is you have plumbers who do sloppy work. They do crappy work. They do crappy installations. They don't do it. But the, the alternative for a contractor is, look, I, I can't find anybody else that could do a good job. Therefore, I will settle for a crappy job. You see what I'm saying? But here's what happens during an economic pullback. The ones that sucked, the ones that didn't control their overhead, the ones that didn't perform well, the ones that have a 
that deliver and provide a terrible product. They're going to be the very first ones that get chopped. They will get chopped. They will get axed. They will get whacked. What that means is, is that as the market compresses, the cream or the best ones are going to rise to the top because the contractors that are still in business would prefer to do business with the legit plumbers. See what I'm saying? And so then you say, hey, like what? So where's the silver lining in it? Well, the cool lining in it is, is all of all of your competition disappears, okay? So then when the market does a rebound or a turnaround, guess who's in a good spot? You are, because you've already created relationships and established relationships with the other players who are the cream of the crop. And as a result, boom, shakalaka, you're gonna start rolling in the money and you're gonna be, you're gonna have very low competition. Now, obviously players are gonna come back into the equation, right? But look, you just rose to the top, hanging out with the best of the best, so that the best of the best keep moving. Like I have, there's a couple, there's con or contractors that I've talked to that are excellent. Okay, they build great homes. People know it. And during an economic downturn, the people that have money make more money. They figure out how to get even wealthier during a downturn because all their competition gets slayed. Okay, so they get slayed. They continue to buy and to build. And as a result, they will actually only take the best with them. So take secret number two is just know that the weak companies get flushed, leaving the best. You make sure that you're inside the best and you will actually have a probability, most likely, or a better probability of coming out the other side happy. Here's what I know about construction. It's going to continue to happen. Okay, It will continue to happen. It'll move forward. Here's what I know about if you were like in, in the horse market, okay? Remember there was a time when everybody used to ride horses? Okay, like if you would have bet a horse against a car, let me tell you what, you would have got, you would have died. There was like probably like 20 million horses horses in the, uh, in the United States. We're probably down to like 3 million. Like whatever it is, it is, it is a peanut compared to what horses used to be inside the marketplace because it got displaced by the automobile. So you got to pay attention to that. There's, there's things that will transpire that will cause you to become displaced. Okay. Number secret number three. This is, this is how do you, this is increase the perceived value of your products. Okay. What do I mean by that? Like when, when you stop and you figure out how do I increase the perceived value of my product? Okay. Um, probably easiest one for me to do is just to take a look at my solar space. Now, if you want it, for example, right here, right here, right now, okay? I have a friend that right here, right now, is in the process of trying to buy a solar company, okay? What, what he's going to end up doing is he's going to end up spending maybe $500,000, maybe more, just to acquire it. And that is actually probably a pretty good price for what, he, what it was. But he could come and talk to me for a franchise for about a tenth of that cost, and I could still deliver to him the same results he's going to get if he went the half a million dollar route. Okay, there. But if you go and you look at what I'm doing, you can see that I have increased the perceived value. I created the Solar Lords program. Come in here. We're going to teach you, train you, show you how to get from A to B faster than you would otherwise. Um, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to provide you with. Oh my gosh! I need to pull up my offer. Um, and look at it because I went through these line by line. Let me, let me grab it and pull it up real quick. Um, so that's not it. Come on, Mike. 
You can do it. All right, over here. Uh, here we go. Franchise. Okay. Perceived value of my offer. What I'm doing is, is I'm asking myself, what things can I add or can I put inside the mix that would increase the value to my customer? Okay. So like very first one, you could go get license, you could go get contractors to be on your team. Okay. If you're starting out, that costs you $150,000 to do it. I'm just going to provide it. It's not going to be any extra cost. I'm just going to provide it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, during the time where I'm scaling you up to get you profitable, I will get the contractor's license in place, but I don't want you sitting around not making any sales movement or momentum. I'm going to take you there so I know that you're going to get there faster and be successful. Does that make sense? So I, I take and I do that. So one of the other ones is, is like, I don't know any solar company, like without doing it on your own, they don't, they don't create recruiting events for you to be able to find like these alpha sales guys. I'm creating, I've got recruiting events for you to get your alpha sales guys. Like a lot of these solar companies, they don't actually give you a good pitch or a good stack to be able to close customers, okay? I've noticed that. I've noticed that as I've worked with different solar people. I'm like, look, I'm gonna show you a presentation that I've used successfully to close 95% of people. I will take and I'll share that with you. And so what I'm doing is, is I am adding value to my offer. Like this, my pitch, okay, my pitch, I created it once. Now that I've created the thing, I don't have to go recreate it. I've created it. I created it, tested it, showed that it converts, got it down. Now I can take and I can provide that to you. But people don't go create things that create additional perceived value, okay? Like, but that's what I do. So here's another one. Like people don't come out and say, hey, Hey, here's the ads. Here's the stuff that I use to run ads that allows me to increase my conversions. Like they don't give it to you, but I'm giving it to you so that you can figure out or so that we can help you make more money. I'm giving you the stuff that you need. So there's methods and there's ways that you could go in and increase the perceived value. My friend used a, an excellent example. He said, he said that like when, when you've got trains and, and take a look at this thing, this is crazy. So people standing there waiting for a train could become very frustrated, wondering when is this stupid train ever going to show up, right? But uh, so he could go out and spend big bucks making trains faster. But he could increase the perceived value to the consumer by putting up a digital display showing the customer, hey, the, this is where the train is on the map. The train will be here in X number of minutes. So instead of sitting there wringing your hands and fretting, you now can look up, see where the train's at, then you can call them down and just say, okay, we'll be fine. I didn't miss the train, the train's in proximity, da 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 Okay, that increased the perceived value of the offer. I have another friend that does, he does health and fitness stuff, okay? He, he said that there was a time when he was really, really needing to make a sale. And he had a client walk in and the client said, you know what, like I would love to do your fitness program, but here's the deal. For my work, I eat out a lot. And because I eat out a lot, I can't follow your program. And the dude's like, dude, I'm desperate. I've got to make a sell. He goes, no problem. He goes, what I will do is I will create you an eating out guide. I will show you what to eat, what not to eat, so that you can successfully eat out and not wreck your diet. Okay, it took him time to build it. But after he built the thing, he only had to build it once, 
Then he could give it to his client and he could give it to that client, the next client, the next client, the next client, the next client. See what I mean? Sales that he, he would historically not have been able to get, he got because he increased the perceived value of his offer. Now, did you say, you could say, well, he actually did increase the value of his offer. Yes, but he created it once and then he provided it to his customers over and over and over and over again. And the question is, is what thing can you do to help your customers have an incre increased perceived value? I'll tell you what I'm doing. I do these Amazon stores, okay? It's a done for you store. You say, Mike, I don't have time to start my own Amazon store. I don't even know how to pick a product. I don't know how to source a product. I don't know how to put the product in the store. What I need is somebody that can do that for me. I'm like, okay, it's a done for you service. But I've noticed that other people in my marketplace that offer that particular service, they give you an Amazon store. I'm like, well, shoot, why, why? Like, since we've already got expertise in Amazon, we already have expertise in Walmart. We already have expertise in Facebook, the Facebook marketplace. We already have expertise on eBay. There's a couple other little niches that we have expertises in. Why don't we figure out how to make all of those available to the customer? Because we can do, you pick the right products, we can do as much on Amazon as we can on eBay or vice versa. You see what I'm saying? So why would I want to throttle your sales by telling you that you can only work with Amazon? It makes no sense, see? And so therein lies, I can increase the perceived value of my product. Like, is it harder for me to take and to put it in multiple places? Well, no, because we figured out how to take and to automate it. Um, does it take a little extra effort? Yeah, but do I want my value to my consumer or to my customer to be greater so that I can do more for them? Yeah, I want to move your product. I want you to make more money. Like, that's the big idea, right? Is to help a consumer or a customer make more money than they would. Okay, that's what I'm doing with my, uh, that's what I'm doing with my uh, solar company. I'm allowing and I'm helping people make more money than they would have made on their own. Okay, closing the gaps. So let's do just a, a, a little recap so that you can see how do you take and make a highly profitable opportunity during an economic downturn. One, focus on markets that perform best during downturns. Now, that could mean that you should repackage your product and sell it to somebody's pain. Okay, um, the example I gave you selling it to pain is don't tell them like how to be fit during COVID. Say how to be how to improve your health so you're less likely to get sick. Okay, repackage it. Secret number two: weak companies get flushed, leaving the best. Okay, be be one of the good ones. Don't be don't be a, a, a crap company so that you get flushed out. Okay, um, number three is increase the perceived value. How can you do that? Find things that take some effort up front, but create a value for your consumer so that they actually get a much better value from your proposition than your competition. But you do, you find, you play in all three of those, you're going to discover you're going to survive. You're going to not only survive, you're going to thrive. And you're going to come out the other side richer than you were when you went into the problem. So, boom, shakalaka. Okay, another Rags the Riches Secrets, and I will talk to you tomorrow.